Continuing with our days of reflection and contemplation together, looking at this balancing and working with the samatha and vipassana meditation, the relationship between them, and perhaps focusing a little more on that today. For some people, um, just to uh, stay with a samatha, the sense of calming, the sense of containing, the sense of not now and turning away for the sake of finding that sense of inner well-being. For some, you might like to just continue exploring that. In some ways, the, the Vipassana meditation is not necessarily so peaceful. It, it's less controlled in a way. <clears throat> One's not necessarily always choosing to turn away from what is arising in the mental, emotional, psychological sphere. The Vipassana is more this uh, turning to or listening to or welcoming for the sake of investigation. So it's not necessarily... <clears throat> sometimes when people open more, open the field of awareness more to include uh, more fully into their awareness the uh, the movement of mind, of feeling. Uh, sometimes there's almost a feeling of losing control a bit because the samatha in some ways is quite, is quite con- has an element of use, use of will to control, to direct, uh, to practice uh, both sense restraint and to practice this uh, this putting aside of the issues of our daily life. And for some it might feel appropriate, you know, you don't really want to explore the Vipassana, and that's fine. I think with, as we go through these different teachings, these ten days, we're covering quite a lot of ground in a short space of time, and it's it's for you to really discern and to know what is right for you to pick up and what is right for you to just leave. And some of it will be more appropriate for some people and, than for others. And, uh, and in many ways, usually one would spend, take one small part of the teaching and spend quite a long time just reflecting on that, maybe taking the teaching on impermanence or this practice of samatha, calming maybe spending months, maybe years, developing one aspect. But because we're in such a hurry as Westerners, we, we like to have it all uh, on, on our plates quite quickly. But it's also an issue of time and what, what we can <clears throat> realistically do. So in a 10-day retreat, we're actually going through quite a lot of, of, of ground, covering quite a lot of ground. So a lot of it one won't really necessarily remember or has to remember, but that which is appropriate, that which will be right for us, we, we probably will, it will resonate, and we can pick that up and work with it. <coughs> so this, this Vipassana is really developing, another way of talking about it is developing this capacity to wisely reflect, to wisely reflect using wisdom, or, or in a way, it's cultivating wisdom, but it's using also using the wisdom that's already innate, that's already there, bringing the, the, the wisdom or the buddhic faculty to bear upon our experience, uh, 
to the reflective, the, the mind in its reflective capacity, not the mind in its uh, in its constrict. Sometimes the mind can be um, instinctual, just instinctually following whatever is arising for us, or it can be constricting around whatever is present for us, or reacting. A reactive can be a reactive capacity, reacting to whatever, liking and not liking, um, taking birth. This, we've been talking about this this notion of of jati or identification, moving into the energy that's there, taking birth, identifying it as a sense of self. But this reflective, this this moving more into the heart of 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 the Buddha energy or the awakened energy is this disability to reflect. This is how it is. In the Vipassana there's this reflective capacity and the, the ability to do that without necessarily constricting around what's appearing or, or moving with it or pushing it away. It's that capacity to reflect that opens our wisdom, opens the door to our innate ability to, to, to to have a sense of under- wisdom, to understand, to discern, to know what is happening. When we're just reacting to what is present, then we don't really understand it fully, we don't really meet it fully. So if we're contemplating, say, this, this first truth of dukkha, uh, feeling of, of dis-ease or lack of comfort, or the profound level, this feeling of never really being complete somehow, this seeking, or at a more coarse level, just the, the pain that we can feel emotionally, physically, psychologically, when we're busy reacting to it, liking it and not liking it, or being overwhelmed by it, by the, this experience of dukkha, we haven't really understood it yet, we haven't really met it, wisely reflected upon it. So whatever is appearing for us, we're developing in the, this Vipassana meditation, this capacity, it's a capacity really, to hold, to connect, to use the same quality of attention that we've been focusing, using attention, focusing on something more neutral like the breath, energy, like sound. To use that same quality of attention and to to bring it to whatever is allowing ourselves to meet, allowing attention to meet the different movements consciousness, the different energies that come and go, the different feelings that arise and pass, the different moods of the mind, uh, the different forms of the hindrances that we were talking about yesterday. And to meet something uh, is quite subtle really, the, the, different, the subtle um, difference between meeting and containing through this capacity to have mindfulness, through attention, it's different than than the reactivity, this subtle sense of this shouldn't be here, or I don't like this um, feeling of resistance, or I don't like this um, feeling of whatever it is. I don't. I want it to be another way. That's not really meeting it. That's still reacting, or just becoming whatever's arising, becoming uh, restless or becoming sleeping or becoming um, desirous or becoming 
averse, becoming sad, becoming grumpy, whatever it is, rather than meeting it, we've become whatever's appearing or we, or we react against it. So this, it does take, this is why the samatha is needed to support the vipassana, it takes the strength of attention to meet and not to be swept away, to take birth or to resist or to push away. For the sake of discerning, for understanding, for the sake of looking more carefully at the characteristics, the change of the innate insubstantiality of all the conditions that we meet. So this this quality of the reflective mind is really the essence of this notion of Buddha, that which is awake, that which is present. And in a way, this is considered um, an aspect of the human birth. When one talks about being truly human, we can have a human body. But we can be driven, in a human body, we can be driven by all sorts of energies uh, that aren't necessarily, that don't necessarily belong to the human realm. If there's no reflective wisdom, there's no ability to contain and to discern and we're actually very, we can be uh, victimized by any particular impulse that arises in the mind, skillful or unskillful. Uh, we, can, we can live out and act out some very scary energies, which is what we, we can witness to that in the, in the world around us, and many people with human bodies, but that don't have that, that innate hum, human capacity to reflect, to discern, to choose to wisely know what is, what, is, what is right and appropriate and what isn't, what should be restrained and worked with consciously. Now this, this notion of the realm, this notion of the different realms that we can find ourselves living in is a, is a very interesting teaching to reflect on. When, um, when we don't... When, um, one way of, of putting it is that when the mind itself doesn't know primordial awareness is its own nature, when it doesn't know that, there's this ancient tendency through ignorance, through not knowing. Ignorance, literally, avicca, the, the word means not to see clearly, not to understand. There's this ancient tendency to, to find itself through the various shapes and forms and realms that appear and dissolve the different, the, the realm sometimes called samsara, this changing, flowing, moving universe, shapes and forms and energies. And sometimes this is talked about as the, the six realms, the different realms of being, the different realms of manifestation. And we can find ourselves moving through these realms just in one day. Sometimes this notion of samsara, or the way it's depicted in the traditional depiction of the, the wheel of birth and death, or the wheel of causal karmic uh, effect and result, uh, karmic action and, and result and effect. Sometimes it can sound like it's from lifetime and life to lifetime. That's sometimes how it's talked about, being born into this realm, being born into that realm. But actually, it's really a, a, a moment-to-moment experience. The different kinds of 
shapes that we take, that mind takes, not knowing its own nature, through ignorance, through desire, through wanting, through aversion. So we can we can study these. We don't have to to look at a chart or a picture. We can study them right in our own experience. These, if you've seen these, these sometimes depicted these these wheel, the wheel of birth and death at the top. You notice they have at the top the heavenly realms and the deva lokas, and at the bottom they have what they call the hellish realms. And then the realms in between, the Asura, uh, they're sometimes called the, the jealous gods, and the animal kingdom, and then the, the what they call the hungry ghosts, uh, the Preta realm, and the human realm. These different. So, just what what do these mean in terms of our own experience? Well, they're very interesting to reflect on. They're sort of. Uh, a simplification in a way or categorization of some of the experiences we find ourselves living living out or some of the energies that we find ourselves if, if there's no if there's no um, awareness if there's no awakeness if there's no buddha as a refuge as a as a as a reference point then we we just get propelled through these different realms of experience and we feel that's what we are that's why they call it a wheel samsara and it's the notion of sangsara is that it's 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 going up and down all the time. So it's a, the feeling of sangsara is a bit dizzy. One feels a bit dizzy. One feels a bit bounced around. It's just like it's constantly moving and changing. There's no there's no stillness. There's a sense of time, a sense of becoming, a sense of birth, a sense of dying away. What most, what most of us would like, or what most beings seek, is, the, is to dwell in the Deva Loka. The Deva Loka is the, sometimes called the heavenly realm, but it's the realms of sensual delight, can be. Seeking uh, beauty, uh, seeking that which is pleasing, uh, that which is permanent through the senses. It can even be on the meditative level, in a way, the Samatha meditation can be a, a bit like a more, a, a very refined Avaloka, seeking very refined, spacious states of consciousness. Uh, it's the peacefulness that comes. But it's not a, it's not a profound, um, necessarily a really profound peace. It's the peace that can be with chaos, or the peace that can be with with pain, the peace that can be, that has knowledge and wisdom in it. It can be a peace that, that arises through not wanting to have contact with that which disturbs. And some meditations can take one into a very Davic-like experience. A lot of the meditations that I did when I first started uh, took me into a very um, refined state. Uh, refined body, sensitive body, refined awareness. And it was very difficult then to handle the coarseness of everyday life. Just felt that I would be sort of brought down somehow in the same way that the Buddha practicing these very, um, these, these, of, through the jhanic practices moving into realms of, of nothingness, no contact, not even a bodily awareness. It's very subtle. 
but he understood this isn't really the end of suffering because at some point that will the forces that keep one in that sort of state change usually a, a lot of volition or will held by a sense of will and will is dependent will is not always able to operate if one gets sick for example sometimes one doesn't have a lot of will and one just drops then into the human body into the illness and into despair and the one thing that devas don't like to contemplate is impermanence or is an unpleasant physical experience or pain or rotting corpses. <laughs> the devic realm is a realm of you know really seeking, seeking that sense of beauty, and 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 in a way it's a, it's a, it, those experiences of that which is devic or, or heavenly or refined is the result often of a lot of, of positive karma. It's, a, it's not a, a bad thing, but it, if one finds oneself in those realms, one can actually enjoy them but not necessarily develop a lot of wisdom. And then when they change, one sometimes doesn't have the strength to then work with perhaps more coarser experiences. This is why in the, in, in the Vipassana meditation one, one isn't just leaving the meditation as developing more and more and more tranquility in a samatha, which would be nice for us to all to do. I wish that was the end of the story. We just sit here for ten days and get very, very peaceful just by turning away from the issues of our daily life. But that's, that, you know, as we've talked about, that, that is a very profound base and a very important skill to develop. But it's not often very translatable into everyday life and it doesn't necessarily deal or approach um, the very primary issues of suffering, of death, of impermanence and working with the more what one might call the shadow elements or the pain or the unintegrated aspects of our being and so this is a problem in, the, in meditation because there's often for many people a lot of resistance about receiving and working with that which we find irritating, or that which we feel pulls us down, or energy, like we were talking about the sexual energy yesterday, or energy of desire, or energy of lust, or energy of, of just being feeling grumpy, or frustrated, or restless. There's a lot of resistance to really working with those states because of this, this profound tendency to want to move towards the pleasing, the peaceful. We don't want to be disturbed. But, uh, you know, the Buddha was a good teacher, so <laughs> they called a perfect teacher. He, he would say, no, that's not where one stops. One has to sometimes be disturbed for the sake of, of cultivating wisdom and compassion. The, the end of the path isn't just to, to become peaceful. It is, in a way, it is. But it's not a peaceful, a peace that's really dependent upon certain conditions. The, the profound peace of the Buddha is, is, is no longer having to push away anything in the world. It's able to really see the world just as it is. So they're very near to the David realm, the Asura. Whenever you see in the picture of the wheel of life and death, you see the, the heavenly beings playing their music and enjoying themselves, beautifully dressed. And sometimes when I come to Devon, I feel like, especially after KwaZulu Natal, I feel like I've hit the Deva kingdom, which is nice actually, I enjoy it. It's a nice break <laughs> from uh, what, what happens in, uh, when we're living in, in, uh, 
in a province where 18 people a day get murdered. And last year in South Africa, there was about uh, 24,000 people murdered. It's, uh, it's got a lot more of the hell realms and the etheric realm energy. It's not really a Deva Loka. But anyhow, it is nice to hang out with Deva Lokas and to enjoy. <laughs> Be refreshed by them. Uh, they are important. To appreciate beauty, to enjoy is important. But very near to that realm is the Asura. The Asuras are those that haven't really, they would like to have what the Devas have. Um, and it evokes incredible jealousy, actually. But they're somehow, they're, they're, the karma isn't there for that to fruit, so they, they kind of fall a bit below. And there's just this, this instead of the, the beauty of the sensory world, there's this, uh, it falls into a power-seeking. There isn't a fullness in the beauty, and so there's the energy of, of wanting to be filled by the various forms of power. And, and warring and conflict and the Zurich realm is an interesting realm because often that energy is, is, is very bright, very intelligent. If you look in the political shenanigans that go on, people that, that I do see compassionate sides, there is that which is developed but it's, it's, it's not fully bloomed and one can see in the political realms there are sometimes motivations of compassion but it gets very easily overtaken by the desire for 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 power, for um, egotistical gain. So this realm is there's a sense of, of jealousy, or there's a sense of competitiveness, and there's a struggle. We can even feel it uh, in the in the meditation, in the spiritual life. Um, sometimes this this kind of comparing, or if someone is. is you know, I used to, when I did my first retreat, there used to be this incredible competitive atmosphere. Who could sit the longest? And, and in the early days of the monastery, who could sit the whole night sitting without moving very much or falling asleep? And who could learn the suttas the best? And I mean, with the nuns, it even came down to, I was always a bit of a scruffy nun, but one of, <laughs> one of my fellow nuns used to iron her row. I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, she's really, one that, that one, I mean, she is really the neatest nun on earth, you know, <laughs> to iron her sitting cloth into squares, and I just have this little crumpled thing and pull it out and try, try to be neat and tidy. But it's just like this, this energy sometimes that can come, this friction. Um, it's not that, you know, because we feel we're spiritual that we're free from any of these energies. They're there. And they, they manifest in, sometimes in the, in the, you know, it's interesting, in the, fears that we work in, um, we can feel that with people that are our, our peers or that c- closely work with us. Like for example, I notice with, with, with meditation teachers or with healers or with writers, or there's a difficulty to feel sometimes truly joyous at the success of another. When there's, <laughs> it's something that was sort of a bit niggly sometimes, wants to try and well, they're not, you know, pull them down a bit somehow. <laughs> so it's a kind of an atheric, it's not a very beautiful energy, and it's hard to, to admit to it, but there is sometimes that kind of feeling tone um, with those that we can be close to and in the same field as ourselves, even in so-called, like, kind of spiritual circus. The animal, the animal realm is more instinctual. It's an, it's an energy, when, when we're being driven by that kind of energy, 
it's being, we feel it as a, it's not to actually put down animals, because animals can be more sometimes loving and compassionate than humans. <laughs> but it's, you know, in a way it's depicting that energy that's just, when we just are, are driven by, by instinctual needs to eat, to procreate, when things get difficult to sort of curl up in our, and hide in our burrow and not really face the world, sort of hide under our duvet, go and go and, you know, go asleep. It's a kind of dullness sometimes depicted as a, a dullness of mind, a, a, a sort of a, a lack of awareness. Yeah, just an instinctual realm, being driven by fear, by lust, by greed. Not a bit, no, not much ability to really reflect, to wisely reflect. Oh, this is fear. It's just fear then. We follow it, or like if uh, I notice when we, we give Jack, our dog on the mountain, a bowl of food, he doesn't sort of sit there and go, Why is he reflecting? This food has come through the elements, and my body is it's just, Phoom. <laughs> and then he's looking for the next. So it's, uh, sometimes we can feel that in ourselves, we have our plate of food, and boom, it's gone, and then we're just looking like a, like a dog for the next. <laughs> And the, the preta, the, the, what they call the hungry ghost, sometimes on the retreats we, we, we experience a lot of our hungry ghosts. There's that energy, it's like a ghostly kind of energy. It's not, some of these, like the asura, and it's very strong, so that we feel that, we can feel it. It's, it's sort of very physiological, it's sort of really, you know, we can feel it in the guts almost, that kind of energy. But the, the preta or the hungry ghost is more, it's like this sort of whining or needy or, uh, sometimes it's depicted as beings with long, thin throats and big bellies. Whatever, whatever is taken in doesn't nourish. And what is taken to nourish burns instead of nourishes. And it comes from a place of of, of a feeling of of neediness or insatiability or or, or a kind of a, yeah, not feeling, not really feeling a fullness of our being but just kind of like looking for something um, and, and often picking the very things that we feel will be nourishing for us that aren't. Maybe uh, you know, I, can, I can feel that energy sometimes when, when I'm feeling some pain, I'm not feeling very good and I might be staying somewhere where there may be a TV and I don't really want to be with myself so I might just sit there and watch any old thing. You know, just a complete load. And it's like being a preta. It's like, yeah, welcome to the preta rounds. One's drinking in all this rubbish, you know. And you switch the TV off and you feel like, God. <laughs> so it's somehow really, you know, like, it's not very nourishing. Or just flipping through magazines. That's, or in a way, it's, a, it's an addictive. It can be very addictive. In its most extreme forms, it's a kind of an addictive behavior. Addicting ourselves, seeking from sources. Uh, like in a way, the most perhaps the most um, symbolic expression of that pressure is like heroin addiction, and all that goes with it. It's something that burns, that depletes, that that destroys. But there's this feeling of drawing from. And so, so in the meditation retreat, we're not actually following those impulses, but we're listening sometimes to the hungry ghosts of the mind. So the, the wailing or the wanting or the needing energy, sort of shadowy feelings that come, 
not quite sure what what you want, but it's, it's just this sort of wailing kind of feeling in the mind, in the heart. In the in the hellish, <coughs> the feeling of just descending into into extreme um, feelings of of heat or fire or anger or violence or sometimes uh, when one looks at the demonic things happening in the world around it's like a hellish hellish energy in the mind it's just constricted there's no no space at all there's no sense of freedom in any of the hellish realms and there's no sense in the in the day below time just goes like that when you're when you're really enjoying when you're really um, savoring beautiful sensory delight or beautiful states of consciousness it's just you know it can just whiz past but when we descend into the hell when we really feel extreme pain and a constriction uh, or despair depression uh, it feels like there's never any end sometimes I've, I've been into states of depression and I felt this has not got any end it's always been like this <laughs> there's no enthusiasm I can't get a spark of life going and it just feels endless and then this is actually an illusion in one way it's not an illusion it's real enough but in one way the sense of time connected with it um, so this this is a compacted so a lot a lot of what we start to look at in the in the Vipassana when there's no buddhic quality this ability to be aware to be awake to be reflective and we just find ourselves moving through these different realms. These are just, in a way, simplifications. There's lots of grey areas between these different kinds of, but just for the sake of talking about the, the universe of the samsaric expression. As the mind moves into these different... This is what we're reflecting on in the Vipassana. Just to know. And in the, the Samatha gives us the container, it gives us the strength to actually just know these different realms for what they are. This why in the, the last round, the human, is considered the optimum for enlightenment because of this ability to, to reflect, to step back first of all, to have some space, to know, and in a way, the, the taking as we move to that sense of refuge in the Buddha, into that aspect of awareness that can reflect, that can know. The expression of that, one of the qualities that we've we chant in the morning the nine qualities it's the Buddha loka we do is the one that knows the world so we're actually literally moving into that place of the Buddha the one that knows these different worlds and so when these different energetic forms visit us we can in the samatha we can say not now and that's very valid we can actually just keep for some of us that might be important just to keep working with steadying calming feeding the breath but we might want to explore the Vipassana says, okay, now. <laughs> Let me just listen. One of this knowing, the knowing is, we know because we hear, we know because we receive. Let me just receive this grumpy feeling, this negative feeling. Just as it is, without reactivity. We, there might be reactivity, there probably is, and we can know that too. There, there might be a very profound desire not to really be connected have contact with that unpleasant feeling. There's something that wants to push away, and we can know that too, the tension of just trying to push something away, move towards something else. 
And we can feel that in the body, in the, in the energy body. And we can see how these, these they, when they talk about the khandas, they, these different realms, the mind literally moves and shapes itself sometimes into these energies. The rupa, the form, it's almost like an energetic form. Sometimes we can feel ourselves moving into a, into a, the mind moving into one of these states, one of these realms, one of these, these supported by Vedana, connected with Vedana and feeling, supported by perception, mental cons- and mental constructs that describe, that go with it. Um, the moments of the consciousness, the, 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 the sort of the spark, the, the energy, the knowing in, in the different energy formations. So in the Vipassana, we just, in a more choiceless awareness, there still needs to be, otherwise if there isn't any strength of mindfulness, we just sort of waft around, really. You can call it Vipassana, but it's really like a, a wafting around. Um, just sort of sloshing around. <laughs> and if we find ourselves, you know, just sort of like wafting away and sloshing around and not feeling much... Uh, strength or centeredness, then we might want to just come back to the samatha, to the not now, to the simplification, working with the breath. And there might be some things, like uh, when we were talking about sexual desire yesterday, and the fantasy or the stuff, the, the mental constructs that go with it, maybe the samatha is just, yes, not now, and just using the vitakavichara, those, those factors which support jhana, just to move away just to say yes, and then that can be enough just to ignore, not to engage that's the work of samatha just to to move the attention away, not to dwell in say, if that's what we choose to do or it might, it might be the choice that we actually feel there's enough strength to investigate, to open or it might be that it's nothing to do with our choice, it's just there and, and a, a formation says yes now there's, and the samatha is not really, there's not the strength, if you like, of will uh, or samadhi to really turn away. It's just, whew, now is my time to, to really work to be with sexual desire or to be with restlessness or to be with sadness or to be with the grumpy mind, um, the grumpy heart, or to be with wanting or fantasy. And then we, and then, it's this subtle difference between just sort of roaming around in that, in that realm, or pushing it away, and just, oh, I don't want to have any contact with it because it's bringing me down. <laughs> it's not peaceful. Just to relax and to trust our refuge in Buddha, the knowing, the awareness, and allowing that refuge to be supported by the breath, so that the breath, then we're breathing with whatever's happening. We can breathe, we can include with the work with the breath. So we take that summit as a base, the breath can steady our attention, the body can steady, can anchor, and then we allow this reflective capacity to operate, which opens the door to our, to our wisdom, to our understanding. We just allow contact, yes, this energy, what is it? And then we start to reflect, to, to listen in to the voices of the hungry ghost. I don't like it. I want, I don't want, I'm happy, I'm sad, 
just listening to the to the construct, to the feeling tone, to the the feeling in the body, not to be frightened of meeting suffering if it's suffering, but to know that it's it's meeting suffering for the sake of of realizing the ending of suffering, not just heedless, stupid suffering. <laughs> so if the partner is walking this is uh, the middle way between rejecting, pushing away, or taking birth and identification, it's just staying right centered in the capacity to be awake, to be the Buddha, to actually be that, to reflect into our experience, to be truly human in that moment. And not um when we're truly human, when we're truly in that, as Ken Wilber calls it, the ultimate I, the ultimate, you can't get behind that anymore, that's in a way the ultimate I is the Buddha. When we're really in that as a refuge, then we're no longer destined to play out, to be vehicles for the, all these the different manifestations of the, of the, the energy of the different realms when there's no mindfulness, when there's no Buddha, when there's no awareness in the world, then we just have no human beings left, and we just have chaos. We just have any old energy doing any old thing, no capacity to contain, to reflect, to have wisdom. So this knowing of the world starts very much with each moment, with our own being, with our own ability to be with how it is, moment by moment, finding our balance, working today, with this balance, samatha, to strengthen, to stay centered, to come back to our attention, to work with the breath, and then just experimenting with irrigating the samatha meditation with more openness into a more choiceless space, just allowing ourselves to, to work with whatever arises for us during this day of meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.